Hello and welcome to episode 89 of Misaligned. Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me Please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash misaligned. The September Record of the Month is the Notorious B.I.G.'s Ready to Die. And you can also add on a subscription to your new Vinyl Me Please membership featuring the first pressing of No Names Telephone. So welcome. Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts, and you can find all of our shows over at modern-vinyl.com. Today, we are chatting with Jess Skolnick, and hopefully I have pronounced your last name right, from Bandcamp. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on this show. It was so weird for me not to do the intro there. (laughs) Mixing things up today. So to start out, why don't we just give our listeners a brief overview of who you are and how you actually got started working in the music world? Man, I have a really crazy story, uh, crazy backstory. Um, I am, as said, currently the managing editor at Bandcamp Daily, which is Bandcamp's in-house music magazine. Um, I write for a whole bunch of different publications, freelance as well. Um, and um, man, I got my start. So my parents are both musicians. Um, I've been involved in music as long as I can remember. If you didn't play an instrument in my house growing up, there's something wrong with you. But both of my parents are musicians. They met. I don't think they met because they were in a band together, but they were in a band together shortly after they met. Um, and that band continued uh, nearly up to um, my early childhood. So, um, and my dad ran an amp repair shop out of our basement. Um, He's an electrical engineer. Um, so it's, it's always just been part of my world. I started going to shows when I was really young because they took me. Um, and I happened to grow up in the Washington, D.C. area at a particularly good time for such things. Um, I started going to shows in, like, 1990. Um, I was very young. So uh, that's where I come from. It's just always been in my language, um, in my world, in my life. Um, I never thought I would actually have a career in music and I didn't build toward a career in music. Um, I actually was sort of, my career took about 10 or 11 different turns before I got here. Um, graduated high school wanting like barely, um, I can't, I don't understand how I got a full scholarship to college because I was an incredibly bad student, um, but a resourceful one, I guess. Um, <laughs> I just, I really hated being in school, um, smart enough to, you know, do a good job, but I really hated being there. Um, so I skipped a lot of class, but, uh, <laughs> but I got a full scholarship to college um, and uh, entered wanting to be an electrical engineer like my dad, um, ended up uh not being able to handle the math for that. Um, <laughs> it took sort of a sideways turn into studying um, American labor history, um, which bloomed into grad school in public policy and health policy. Um, that program, the program that I was in, got defunded. Um, so I ended up to leave. Thought about nursing for a while, moved to Chicago, um, got a job with a labor union, was there for eight years, got laid off, um, went back to working in a record store in a pizza shop um, and freelancing. And that's kind of like when my freelancing started 
I had always been writing. I'd always been doing zines and I had always just been writing for myself and had connections from sort of the early days of internet publishing um, and the late days of alt weeklies um, in the late nineties. So that's how I got where I am. <laughs> it's like an incredibly roundabout way. <laughs> nice. And Real quick here, Jess, would you say that freelance writing is what really led you to your current position as managing editor at Bandcamp then? Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, but I've been playing music forever too, so it's been in it's been in so many different corners of my life. Actually, you know, freelance writing is what got me there, but also contacts um, with other musicians and labels from my time playing music and um, booking shows as well, I would say, have something to do with it. Okay. And another thing I want to mention about Bandcamp, I know it's remote work, so you guys don't really have an office that everyone goes to, the company doesn't, that I'm aware of anyway, because I actually was just on there applying to a job the other day, and I noticed that you know, there was this whole little spiel about it being remote. So what's it like managing sort of your work-life balance when you can just work from home? Um, that's that's a tough one. I um, There actually is an office. It's in Greenpoint um, for editorial only. Um, there's no, there's a sort of a, sol- a, a office that people work out of, I think, in Vancouver and one in um, San Francisco, but there's, okay. there's no like, or Oakland. Sorry, not San Francisco. But there's, you know, there's different little hubs around um, the continent. But there are people everywhere. Um, we have people in Berlin. We have people in, you know, uh, Australia and New Zealand. We have people. We have people all over the place. So I was in New York for six months setting up the daily when we first started and worked out of the office for six months. And I'm really glad that I did. I'm really glad that I had that experience. I don't know if I could have done what I um, just leapt right into it, um, being a remote worker, um, because that bonding time with your coworkers is so important. Uh, And so I feel like I, I got that really intense bonding time and then was able to come back to Chicago. so like that definitely helps me personally. Right. It's definitely hard. I have a cat snoozing behind me right now as I'm talking <laughs> to you. Um, and my partner also works from home. So we have to, <laughs> we have to um, navigate essentially living and working together, <laughs> which is um, a challenge in and of itself. Um, it's very hard sometimes not to just be like, I want to take a nap in the middle of the day, but I have enough to do that, you know, it's not actually an option. Yeah, I'm not much of a napper myself, so that wouldn't necessarily be a problem for me. But it seems like certain types of companies within the industry are sort of heading more in the remote work direction because as you know, that definitely cuts down on things like overhead costs and, you know, electricity bills and whatnot. But do you think even more music industry based companies are going to start going that way? I know it's very common for 
like publicists and jobs like that because you know you have people who do publicity on their own but then you still have these smaller to mid-sized firms that maybe don't have quite enough people to really justify the expense of an office yeah i think that co-working spaces like the ones that Bandcamp has um with work from home as an option i think that definitely that's kind of the the mode people are moving into especially now that like nearly everything we do is electronic so um right it doesn't kind it doesn't make any sense um but i do think like i said that having the um the time to to be there face to face with your coworkers um bandcamp has a yearly paying where everybody in the company um there are 40 some, I can't, I don't know the exact number right now, but there are 40 some people in the company um, and everybody gets to get together um, for a week and that's great. Um, and I get to see my coworkers in New York more often than that. So I think that having that face-to-face time is really crucial for how workflow um, is and communication between the team. We all have such good relationships with each other and I don't think that would exist without um, being able to hang out with each other face to face. So I worry about things being lost with a purely electronic motive working. Right. And freelance writing definitely ties into that too, because more often than not, you aren't going into the office of the website that you're writing for just to sort of submit articles here and there. And Megan, I know you actually have quite a few things you want to talk about in regards to the freelance writing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all know how much fun talking about freelance writing can get sometimes. Not necessarily about freelance writing itself, but more about your identity within the industry and working as a writer to kind of get your point across here. So to navigate to this next question here, how have you managed to work through freelancing and life in the music industry as someone who is openly intersex and non-binary without wanting to pull all of your hair out of frustration? And to give our listeners some background, Jess wrote a Medium post last year, and we will link to this in our show notes, but it is called On Being a Gender Outlier and a Complication of Identity Politics. As a reminder, this season of Misaligned, we are talking about the voices within the industry, whether it's publicists or writers or folks who work in PR, and the voices that might get overshadowed by the typical white male type thing that we always tend to see. I have always been an outlier in every regard. So to me, that's I have always been just like staunchly non-commercial and uh, staunchly anti-authoritarian. And I do a lot of political work in the other half of my life. But I think I have, that I always ha- I have a different viewpoint in general than pretty much everybody else I've ever run into in the industry. Um, so, and I think also like never angling, I was, I never angled to be part of this industry in the first place. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I've always just sort of thought of it as like, I love music very much, making it, listening to it, being a part of it. How can I do that the most justice? Um, how can I participate in that in a way that is 
most sensible to me. And I've, I've just kind of like made my own place based on that. I'm pretty aware that I can't imagine that if I uh, am not at the daily, I don't know where else I would ever fit in. Like this is such a unique place and a place that is full of weirdos like me who have like very distinct perspectives and very distinct ideas and very fiercely independent streaks. So I don't know. Um, I thought about that a lot. Like probably I'll, I, who knows what'll happen if I, if this ever ends up ending, which it probably will because that is the nature of all things, but it's incredibly frustrating. But I've, again, like I've never felt like I ever particularly had the space so I just really had to go ahead and make it myself that makes sense and to throw in a really bad joke here let's just hope that Bandcamp doesn't pivot to video one day (laughs) (laughs) somehow I think that we're not ever (laughs) (laughs) oh god the pivot to video is one of the worst the worst and saddest jokes on all of us of 2017 of which there so many this is this is very true <laughs> i mean i figured if i didn't say it now i would never get the chance to say that again <laughs> so i'm sorry but to go off of that with your frustrations i know i saw a tweet from you i think it was last week that you retweeted like you're actually shining some humor into the situation as well but your tweet was referencing being misgendered and having to start charging people on Venmo for that. Yeah, that was from um, Pilot Pirouette. It was great. Yeah, just like it happens so often that obviously not people who know me well, but it just happens so often with people who assume uh, my gender um, because that's something that everybody does. Um, the only frust- like deep frustration is when like I it's in my Twitter bio. It's in, like I am very public about it. Like you just do the basic amount of research about the person that you're talking to or about no matter who they are. Um, that says, Hey, I see you as a human, um, and have, have, uh, basically, you know, looked at all of the public information that you have available. I do that before I interview anybody. Um, it's just a sign of basic understanding and respect that you actually like care about the person as a human being that you're interacting with. Uh, as opposed to somebody that you want something from, um, which is something that happens a lot in this industry. Is like people treat each other like um, ATMs. Like I'm gonna poke something at you and you're going to give me something. And I hate that. I think it's really dehumanizing in general. Um, so I don't know. That's why I, I'm always really kind of ferocious about uh, doing basic research, learning who somebody is, learning as much as I possibly can about their perspective and who they are before I speak to them. Yeah. And I actually came across something similar recently. I was applying to a job, I believe it was through Vox Media for SB Nation or something like that. And in the application form, they actually ask you which pronouns you prefer. And that was the first time I had ever seen that. And it just seems like, you know, some companies really get it. And you can sort of tell which ones are still like, either working on it or don't quite have it just right yet. Yeah, totally. Um, like my editors at Pitchfork have always been really great about it. Um, and when I started at Bandcamp, my boss is the greatest person 
And um, he was very like, before I even started, he was like, I want to make sure that I introduce you to people correctly and that like people are really respecting who you are um, and that people don't misgender you, but I also don't want to speak for you. So like, how would you like me to do this? Because he's the best and is so sensitive and thoughtful about such things. I mean, we're, we are, it's been kind of amazing to me to see the way that mainstream dialogue about such things has changed in the last, I don't know, three or four years um, after, you know, a really over a decade of doing activism around these things um, and feeling very, and feeling like nobody's listening, even within your tiny little underground scene. It's been kind of amazing to watch the mainstream shift that way. Yeah, definitely. And I know, Megan, you have a few more things we want to get to here. But before we forget, I do want to let you all know a little bit more about Vinyl Me Please. As Megan mentioned, great September record that they have going. And you don't just get a record with Vinyl Me Please. You also get a cocktail recipe and you get a 12 by 12 inch piece of art. It's an art print, so it's not an original or anything. Everyone's getting the same thing there. And like Megan mentioned, too, they are starting to add more things that you can simply just have as add-on items as well. So you don't have to you know, make sure you're signed up for a specific month necessarily to get that. And they just do a really great job in general of curating records and making sure they are sort of hitting a wide variety of tastes. It's not like they're focusing on one or two genres and that's it or anything like that. And it's really a great opportunity to expand your record collection as well. So again, the link to join is www.joinvmp.com forward slash misaligned. As always, that will be in the show notes, so you don't have to memorize it or anything like that. But Megan, let's go ahead and get back to the conversation now. All right. So how we were just talking about making places more inclusive. This is the next point that I actually want to bring up. Deanna mentioned Vox Media having gender pronouns on their job application and it's starting to become more of a commonplace thing for folks to start asking when they're interviewing hey what are your pronouns or people going to conventions or just events in general and they have awesome little name tags that say hi i'm blank and my pronouns are whatever you'd want to use And I think that's great. I think Punk Talks actually might have cards with that. Don't quote me on that 100% though. I do remember seeing something about that. But going back to this conversation, how can we make this industry more inclusive and work to build a better dialogue for everyone? Um, I think there's kind of two things that really need to happen in general, which is One sort of, one is that we, those of us who have positions in the industry have a a responsibility to um, bring other people up with us. I, my sort of mission, now that I have this like incredible unicorn of a job is to give as many platforms to um, people who feel shut out um, and who are incredibly talented and have fascinating perspectives and ideas and things to say. Um, but have felt shut out of the paradigm 
or uh, tokenized by it. Um, so I think that that's really important. I think it's really important to, um, especially those of us who are white or white passing, to reach out to writers of color uh, and to uh, focus on bringing them on board, um, not as quotas or um, as you know as tokens, but as like you are an incredible person with something to say, and there are barriers for you in this industry. And if I can give you um, a platform to get started, then that's a place to build off of. Um, I think you're an incredible person with something to say, then I think that's really important. Um, and so I feel like that's a really strong responsibility for those of us that have managed to carve out paths for ourselves. It can't all be about our individual paths forward or our individual identities. It always has to be about bringing another, another bringing other people along with us. Um, the other thing is about that sort of marginalization and tokenization. Um, and I think that um, a lot of times efforts towards inclusivity can uh, be more minimizing um, than one might um, intend them to be if they're not designed correctly. Um, if you bring somebody in to be the black writer who writes about black music, like, and never give them a chance to do anything else, like, that's not helpful, particularly. Um, it's just going to be another um, sign that you see somebody is uh, uh, something that you can, you know, put. Uh, a minimum amount of effort into that will give you something of value. Um, and I think that's disgusting. <laughs> um, it's all about seeing people for who they are, um, for everything that they have to give you, no matter whether it is connected to a list of identities or not, um, and letting somebody be fully human. Um, I, am, I tend to really <laughs> resist uh, even though I have certainly like contributed to lists of writers who occupy one or more marginalizations or lists of, um, of uh, musicians who occupy one or more marginalizations for people who I think deserve more, more shine. But you have to be wary about just sort of lumping people together. Um, we get a lot of uh, proposals and pitches for things that are just like, this is a this is a queer artist, so you need to write about them because you're queer too. Or um, this is uh, like I want to write about these like five unrelated black women in rock music um, or whatever, and that really is reductive, I think, um, and has more to do with uh, the current paradigm and cultural currency and profiting off of um, somebody else's identity um, without letting them choose their narrative or their path forward or speak for themselves, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that definitely does make sense. And Megan, I know you had a specific article you wanted to talk about of Jess's that actually, you know, brings up the issue that we saw come up about women sharing music with each other. Yeah. And this is actually a piece from 2015. And of course, here we are in 2017, literally still having this conversation on what's going on. But 
you had a flavor wire piece back in 2015. And one of the first things that caught my eye with this um, was this little quote. Daily paper cut interactions like Ogle's tweet are the most common, if also the most innocuous, instances of discrimination against women and non-binary gendered people in music, reinforcing the frustratingly persistent idea that we don't belong in the industry, in fandom, even digging in the crates. So it's been about two years, coming up on two years officially. Do you think things have actually gotten a little better with this? type of issue or is it something that's still kind of like I don't know what to put is the proper word for this um or is it something that's still on the back burner for a lot of people um I think it's still on the back burner for a lot of people I think that it's sort of mutated at this point into because so many of us have been so loud about um demanding our place in a an industry that is hostile to us um and has traditionally not been shaped for us has traditionally been a white boys club um that a lot of it does turn into that sort of tokenization like let's just bring one person award to solve our diversity problem or um let's just compile this list of people and that'll solve it and let's never speak of it again but they can only live in this ghetto where they um are with other people of their kind you know what i mean and i think that that's uh, that's what's happened. Um, and so I, I'm kind of fighting that all the time. I, the women in rock issue is like the most frustrating thing to me. I, I think I've tweeted about it like 50 times at this point. Like how many times do we have to keep having the women play rock music conversation? Like we've been here, we've been here since the very beginning. Sister Rosetta Tharp is a person like you, you should know about. And it, the fact that it keeps surprising people that women are around is ridiculous. Um, and that we've had having like women in rock issue of magazines is ridiculous. I think it's really silly. Yeah. I feel like too, a lot of the people who make those comments and everything, they probably have not done their homework and looked into music history in general, because as you know, someone who majored in music industry, I went through classes that took us back to like, Gregorian chants in music history, which is like as basic as you can get pretty much. So for me personally, it just really baffles me. I'm like, you guys, or sorry, I'm like, come on, people. Google exists. It's not that difficult to just go find all of this information out and not be so surprised by it every time it comes up. Right. Like, think about the folk practices that like, all popular music arises from. Like, those are usually the province of like if they're not brought into the academy and brought into you know the formal music making structure um those folk practices are the root of everything and they are usually the province of people who are marginalized in the society in one way or another because they're survival strategies and they're ways of passing down information yeah this is actually a really timely interview to be doing with you because the New York Times just published that Rock's Not Dead, It's Ruled by Women, the roundtable conversation piece. And, I mean, they talk with some awesome, awesome folks like Shauna from War on Women, Sadie from Speedy Ortiz, Vagabond, like so many great, great musicians. And I've seen 
several opinions. Like the general consensus that I've seen is that, wow, it's great that this is actually a thing right now. Like we need to see this. And I'm also starting to see some, oh, well, this is really cool, but I'm kind of disappointed in the way that this was written and how it was kind of presented. And uh, I, I mean, we're going to link this too in our show notes as well, so you can read this. But it was written by Joe Coscarelli. I really can't say I have much info about that person. But what is your take on a piece like this just blowing up right now? Yeah, uh, that piece is really fun. I have, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Like you said, there's a lot of incredible people in that piece with, who are, I know personally, who are very, very smart people. Um, and this is most certainly no shade to them. But um, the way that it was presented really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I don't, uh, Joe is their current rock critic. Um, but I don't understand why they didn't get a woman to write this or a non-binary person to write this. Um, there are so many people who could have written this piece from a very different perspective. I, I feel like it was limited, uh, in the way that presented these people who are all, you know, there's a lot of really, there's people with a lot of like really fascinating and thoughtful things to say in that piece. Um, and I, I feel like they weren't given their due particularly. I know that they're all stoked about the piece um, and I don't want to rain on that, but I, I expect more at this point and I think that they deserve more. Um, again, like the women in rock issue has been done to death. Like women play rock music crazy, it exists. Um, and I didn't see this as much more of, you know, a, of the same uh that isn't wasn't the same thing what i do think these things are good for is for like entry-level folks or young young people who are seeing this and saying oh my god i have a place here right like that's why these things exist and that's why they're important um if you can see an assortment of um of folks um talking about this stuff i also don't think it was um Personally, I don't. I didn't think it was a wide enough group of people. It's sort of people from a very, very specific corner in uh, in Iraq right now. Um, that conversation could have been a lot wider. Um, it could have brought more voices in. But I think that these are things that you don't think about when you're a white dude that's writing this piece. You know what I mean? And like, sorry, Joe. Like, I think that that's important, and I think that that's why it's important to have writers who occupy these marginalized positions directing things and editors commissioning pieces that are wider in range and more thoughtfully presented like skipping through this piece um i'm definitely seeing a lot of themes that are just to put it bluntly beaten like a dead horse on the internet like we've got the what are some of the most egregious forms of sexism you've experienced as a musician and later on, there's a conversation where, oh, God, the dating question comes up and why we have to avoid, you know, really kind of saying, heaven forbid, we're just in a band together, like that sort of thing. And I will say that with this piece, um, yesterday, one of the interactive components to it came out. And I'm kind of trying not to flip through it on my phone while doing this interview right now. But 
it is, I think, a better component to look at than reading the just print interview. It gives people more of a chance to kind of interact better with the music itself and gives them a better feel for what's out there. And I do agree with you that this is a good entry level piece for people out there because I don't think a lot of kids in, say, high school will be reading an article like this for fun. They'll see it posted by musicians that they really like and admire and respect and kind of see it. But the general audience of the Times isn't really super young folks. It's people commuting to and from work on a daily basis or people who might be a little out of touch with society today. And I mean, I know I made that pivoting to video joke earlier, but there is also kind of a weird shift for people wanting to read better long form pieces. Yeah, definitely. So it's just, it's just an interesting conversation. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, And I think that while we as people in this industry are incredibly familiar with this group of people, um, people like your average times reader probably is not. Um, So Again, good entry-level piece. Um, message is important. You belong here. Women belong here. Um, but for those of us who are more interested in having, not having the 101 conversation all over again, like we've been having for the last several decades, um, I think that's important. And oh, my gosh. In, in this article, um, they actually linked to other things that you might be interested in reading. And one of the things is, oh, yes, related coverage, Allison and Katie Crutchfield, DIY Punk's twin elders. So, I mean, that automatically grasps my attention because I love Waxahachie. I love Allison's music right now. But this first question that John Caramancia asks is, there are no men in your band and touring crew, so can you talk about why this is? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so embarrassing. I, I can't even make this up. Like, this is literally directed towards Katie. Oh, God, that's so gross. That's so super gross. Um, I saw a comment about that piece, and I love the Crutchfields as people very, very much. Um, and uh, they're, like, the sweetest people in the world. That does them such a crazy disservice. Um, and also, like, I saw a comment about this uh, on Twitter that was, like, the Deal sisters are still around. This is a really weird framing. Like, they they didn't come out of nowhere. Um, and they're all not elders either. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. And this was actually, like, this interview took place in D.C. at the 930 Club. That's so embarrassing. I'm so, I feel so bad for them, like, that they had to answer that question. I can imagine, like, their response and just being like, uh, um, <laughs> like, does anybody ever ask a dude why there aren't women in their band ever? I don't think so. Like, I think it's interesting you should say that too, because Alt Press, I think last week, I know I sent Deanna this, um, Alt Press had a thing about sexism in the music industry and War on Women tweeted out, with the article, 
well, why aren't we asking men about what they're doing about misogyny and sexism in the industry? Right. Right. Exactly. Like, why is this always on the backs of the people that it affects most? It, it, it's so frustrating. We have been having, like, those, those basic, like, people assume you're dating somebody in the band, shitty sexist sound dudes. Like, those conversations have been happening for so long. So, like, now it's time. We have identified the problem about a thousand times over. So what are people doing? How are people fixing it? Otherwise, it just seems like you're kind of gawping at other people's frustration and pain, which is gross. Ugh, and I'm just over here, like, I'm I'm skimming through this Crutchfield interview, and it's just giving me such secondhand embarrassment, especially since it said these are the edited excerpts from the conversation. <sighs> oh, like, you could have so much and you choose to lead off with that. I, oh. oh, God, that's so embarrassing. I, I don't get it at all. That's so embarrassing. Like, it also makes me wonder how a different outlet would have handled this. Like, say, maybe the Washington Post in lieu of the Times. I mean, I know that I, I happen to know the critic at, at, uh, at, the, uh, at the Post extremely well, Chris Richards. We grew up together and are very, very old friends. And he is definitely more attuned to this stuff and has been for a very long time. Definitely shout him out as somebody in... Uh, in you know a white dude in the in the music journalism field who is very conscious of that um, and does good research and treats people like they're human beings and if somebody pushes back on a question that he's asking he's very respectful and listens um, so he's proof that you can do it <laughs> like it exists um, it's not that hard you just have to be a sensitive and thoughtful human being um, and leave your preconceptions about people at the door uh, dig a little bit deeper than you might otherwise. So is it your hope that one day we can all sort of just talk about music as music instead of focusing on whether or not it was a woman who did or someone who is trans, non-binary or anything like that? Um, I don't, I don't want to erase people's identities because I think that um, who we are and the struggles that we have um, navigating the structures of society. Like we still live in a capitalist society that sorts people according to class, race, gender, sexuality, right. et cetera. Like we still live in that world. Um, so until we don't, it's still going to affect our daily interactions and it's going to affect who we are. I don't ever want to erase that. Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying to erase it. I'm just thinking, you know, maybe it doesn't need to be something like the women in music articles right. that we see a lot. You don't need to like bash someone over the head with like, hey, look at what these women are doing. Women are doing this. Instead, right. you can sort of just have this conversation about, hey, these women are doing cool things. And, right. you know, it's like, who who cares if it's women doing the cool things and not men and that sort of thing. Right. Like if it had that had been framed because like that particular article was about a very specific group of people who all know each other, play similar shows, like run in the same world. And they're they're making music that's fairly different from one another in terms of like commercially viable independent rock music. Um, 
like that would be an interesting conversation to have. Like, how did you, like, what are your relationships with each other? Like, how do you support one another? Do you get inspired by the work that uh, these other people who are in your peer group are doing? Like those kinds of things. Um, that would have been a much better conversation to have, right? I think it would have had much more interesting answers. So yeah, I do hope that we can talk about music as music and just be like, that's that's how we try to do things at the daily. It's like, here's this person, they make this music that's really cool. They're trans, that's a thing that's part of their world, right. but like, it's not the sole identifying factor. Here's all of their ideas. Here's um, the thoughts that they put into this. Here's the like the graphic design work that they do. You know, like there's a lot, there's a way to enter somebody's identity in the, into the equation that doesn't make it, it like doesn't make it the sum total of who they are. It's part of who they are. And that's an important thing, but there are other things that are also very important. So let's discuss all of them together. Yeah. And when you're focusing on the music and suddenly you're reading an article where it seems like the music has pretty much nothing to do with it, I think that's when these articles really get frustrating and everything. And as someone who's honestly still learning a lot about, you know, non-binary, trans, and basically any other way people identify, it's one of those things, you know, I'm slowly trying to break myself of the habit of saying certain things a certain way and everything like that. And I know for myself, it's definitely a work in progress. So I can only imagine, you know, on a larger scale, it's going to take way longer than it will, you know, just for me to sort of figure it out myself and learn more along the way. Totally. It's going to take everybody time for sure. Um, we just, you know, we got to move away from having these one-on-one -on -one conversations over and over and over again. Um, once in a while, it's great, but because um, that'll bring more people in, right? Right. If you frame it as an entry-level conversation, um, we got to frame it that way, too. Um, and you can't just, like, leave those artists there. Like, are is the Times covering these artists in other ways, right? Are they just covering them by lumping them all into this article and being like, forget about it? Or are they also covering them in other ways? I think that's important to think about too. It's like, do you limit your coverage to this one narrow discussion of identity or do you talk about identity and also do a show review or a record review um, or include them in a playlist of the best of the year, right? Right, and my God, I'm just still going through this and it is definitely less about the music and more about, oh, well, let's see. There's one question about DIY spaces. That's great. Asking about having an entire generation younger than them and feeling a burden of responsibility to look after them. I feel like that's kind of coded in a way of just like, oh, look, you guys can be like moms to these new yeah. They're like in their fans to late 20s, right? Like, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Oh, and oh, oh, this one is at our round table. Many women spoke about both the emotional labor of being in a band with men and the emotional labor of being a confessional, sometimes political songwriter, and how that relates to fans. And there's a short answer from Allison. And then he just goes on and says, well, what about the emotional labor of touring with dudes of being the only woman in a van with five guys? But they are, oh, God. 
I, I want to throw my phone out right now just from reading this. I'm just, I, I'm just stunned. Nauseous, like, thinking about it. Like, oh, God. I, I'm literally stunned. I have, like, secondhand embarrassment again. Just this is, it's definitely a lot less about the music and just more about their identity. It's so frustrating. And oh, So, on today's episode, you're definitely witnessing this just meltdown right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not even sure I want to read this article anymore. <laughs> yeah, I remember like just seeing the tagline and being like, Ugh, but like, and, like laughing at the comment. Like the deals are still around. I think that they're probably the elder statesmen at this point, um, oh. as far as twins in independent rock music go. Um, so, like that would have been a cool ass conversation. You put the four of them together. Like that's an amazing conversation. This one, oh my god, yeah. Just if you want to read something that makes you want to throw your phone across the room, then sure, go read these. Uh, this Times piece in particular, but definitely it is worth reading the round table as a whole, at least. That one won't make you want to throw your phone out or like just at a brick wall in frustration as much as this Crutchfield piece. I'm really disappointed in this. My gosh, yeah, that's really gross. That's I, really gross. You can also tell that I don't read a lot of the Times art pieces like i since i'm uh virginia based i tend to navigate more towards the post or like smaller newspapers than the times so with all that said (laughs) oh god i'm so it's so embarrassing that's so embarrassing i know i keep saying that over and over but it's just like and i i know what it's like being asked those questions too and i think that that's something that served me really well in music journalism is that I have been on the other end of the microphone as well. And so I know what kinds of questions really tick musicians off and how people know when you haven't done your research and they know when you just come in being like, oh, I just read the one sheet. And so like, I'm going to ask you the same questions that like the last 20 people have asked you. And I'm not going to have an actual conversation with you. Um, I'm going to force you into this narrative that the one sheet has decided that um, you need to have, oh. which is a problem in and of itself. So I feel like that served me really well. I'm very careful to avoid those kinds of, of like really basic, shitty questions. Yep. And I think this about wraps up this episode of Misaligned. <laughs> So thank you, Jess, for having a really great conversation with us and actually just having this mutual connection of secondhand cringing over here. Like all of us in our respective locations are just like, oh, this is actually a thing. My God. Yeah, I'm reading it now. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so funny to think, too, that like that they're positing the Women in Rock article as rectifying this problem for women in music and then linking at the bottom something that perpetuates. Yeah. And I mean, this is literally in the same week. I think I saw the date stamp for this was on the 4th. Yeah. Like you might want to do some self-reflection as an editorial department (laughs) if you are are reacting to a problem and and also perpetuating it in the same breath. Meanwhile, if you go to that Crutchfield Sisters article, you'll get related articles like uh, Lil Uzi Vert and SoundCloud, (laughs) just things that are so irrelevant to the conversation as a whole. Right. But yes, again, thank you, Jess, for chatting with us today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and 
hopefully you will have enjoyed this podcast as much as we have enjoyed recording it today. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for um, talking to me about thorny things. Awesome. And from me, a thank you as well, Jess. And to all of our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.